0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Ponds, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: We also need to pray that integrity is based on authenticity that integrity is based on authenticity. So it says that your love may abound, that you may approve things that are excellent, and number three, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. The word sincere means unmixed or genuine, means pure. Many of you heard this illustration, but for you young people, this may be new for you, but actually the phrase sincere means to be judged by sunlight, and you'd have to know a Bible... Custom, I don't know if it's a custom or not, but what happened in the Bible days might help you understand that. How many of you have ever been over to the uh, swap meet or the flea market? Anybody been over there? Okay. How many of you like going over there? I don't know. I go to the swap meet. You go to seven booths, and then they repeat themselves a hundred times. But anyway, that's that's that. All right. I'm sorry. I I know certain people. I love you, honey. But uh, anyway. (laughs) But have you ever been to these... In those Bible days, most of the times you went shopping, it was very similar. They would call it today a bazaar. You'd go out there. If you've been to the Middle East, I've been to Israel three times, and you, you see these bazaars out there. They're hanging, or they're set out over there. Well, the ladies, they knew that when they were having to cook things, they would put it in a um, kind of an oven that they would make, and they'd get it real hot. And if they wanted to kind of cook it and get it real hot, they had to put it in a clay pot. Now, these clay pots were so formed that they would have to be solid. Sometimes they would glaze it over so when they put it into the heat and they cooked their food in there that the pot would not break. But just like then they have today, they have some of these unscrupulous uh, business people that would sell at these swap meets. How many of you ever bought something at a swap meet or a flea market you thought it was real good then you realized it wasn't? I know. Someone bought me a shirt. I think it said... You know, medium, and I put it on, and it would fit the largest man here as a nightshirt. It was so big. Now I should have held it up. I guess I could have put two of me in there. All right, but in those days when they would pick up the pots, because it means judge by sunlight. Some of these guys, as they were spinning this this uh, mud on this wheel as they were forming this particular pot, if they were scrupulous um, and they were the right kind of people they would take the pot if they saw a crack in it, they would break it, and they would remake that pot again. Now, stay with me, folks. The Old Testament talks about how the Lord will break us and remold us, all right? So that's where that illustration is. But some people are a bunch of charlatans and swindlers. So when they were putting this together and there was a little crack in this deal, they kind of looked around. Nobody saw that there was a crack there. They would take a little bit of wax. They would fill up that crack with wax. So if you put water in it, The water would never leak out, so the lady would think, hey, the pot's okay, okay? And so she would see the scrap. But he would try to cover it up with the glaze. Well, many ladies, like your mothers and your sisters and grandmothers, when they would go to the bazaar, they knew there were a bunch of swindlers out there, so they would take the piece of pottery that they would want to put something in so it wouldn't leak out, they wouldn't waste the little bit of money that they'd have, they would hold that little pot up to the sun, and that's why the word "judge by sunlight was done there because if they looked in there and they could see through that opaque shape of the crack where the wax was, they would know that if they put that particular pot in the oven when it got real hot, what would happen to hot wax? Everybody, it melts. Okay, you've had surfboards; you put them out in the sun, it gets all pasty and it kind of melts. Well, it would melt then, and so they would say this pot right here is a crack pot. Nuh-uh. All right, and so they would take this pot and they say, "I don't want it." So they would judge it by. Let's stay with me now. They now would say, this is a sincere or an authentic pot. Now, here's where we're going. My prayer is that you all would love more and more. That when you would love more and more, you'd become more mature because mature people learn to get along better with one another. Did you hear that? Mature people get along better with one another. Immature little brats don't. So let's stay with me. So maturity based on love. But also now we want to have a lot of authenticity and integrity. We want to be sincere. And blameless means that nobody can point a finger at you and say you didn't get the thing corrected and made it right. Now, let's use that blameless with the swindler, the guy who made the pot. Let's say he made the pot, put the, crack, or put the wax in the crack and he sold it to you. And you came over here and you said, Hey, this guy here is a swindler. And the swindler over here says, you know, you're really right. I don't want to have a reputation by that. And so from this day forward, I will always sell a sincere pot. Judge it by sunlight. It will not have a crack filled by me. It'll be a pure pot, all right? Now, before when he sold it, he was what you would call blameworthy. You could blame him because he was swindling people. He got on this side of it. He confessed that corrected it, took ownership of it, made the commitment, and from then on, he sold true pots. He then would be known as blameless. Not that he never sinned, but he took responsibility and he walked a new path. So here's my prayer, that you would be sincere, authentic, and that you remain sincere and authentic, which means that you'd be blame, uh, blameless. There are a lot of you, a lot of us at times, we go to camp and we hear the message at camp about dedicating our life, and so we dedicate our life to the Lord. Next year, we go back to the camp and we feel so cruddy, so we rededicate our life to the Lord. And then the next year, we get all cruddy again and we rededicate our rededication of our dedication to the Lord. And by the fifth time, we're rededicating our rededication of our rededication of our rededication of our dedication to the Lord. And that means we were sincere for a moment, but we weren't blameless. Blameless means that when we gave our life to the Lord, it stuck. Now, it doesn't mean we can't take a step backwards. We all will do that. We're all wrapped in flesh. But the blameless person knows when they slip back and quickly gets right on the right path again. How many of your dads or moms are driving the car and you watch them kind of go too far to the side and their tires hit the side of the road and you heard it go, blah, 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 Do you know, has that ever happened? You ever kind of know when you're kind of, you know, so what does mom and dad do? They get back in the center again. How often would you go with your mom if she kept driving on the side of the road and down in the bushes and all around? You wouldn't want to do that. Same thing. God wants us to be sincere and blameless. And that's the passage, and it's really critical. For those of you who are adults here, how many of you read in the paper this week that there's two gangs in L.A., the Crips and the Bloods? And what did they send into our mainstream of economy here? Anybody remember? What was it? $100 bills. Thousands and thousands of fake $100 bills. So good at the fake of it that even when they tried to test it, it was very difficult unless you had a very sophisticated test kit in order to do that. And so what does it do now? If you were to hand me $100, I'd say, would well, you cash that for me and give me five 20s? Because I don't know if I could trust the 20. Not so much you, but that, that, that $100, I don't know if I could really trust that. Y'all are laughing right now, aren't you? But you know what, if you're not sincere, and you're not blameless, you're also not trustworthy. You've lost ministry, you've lost confidence. Watch this. You've lost relationships. And what Paul was concerned about is broken relationships and unity. You can read that further on. So what he's talking about is I'm praying for you that you'd love, relationship. You'd be authentic, relationship. You'd have integrity, relationship. Maturity, that's relationship. You've all heard of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) Let me say this. Yesterday, Saturday, yeah, I've been reading the book on spiritual leadership by Blackaby. It's a tremendous book. All of you guys and you gals that are in leadership, get that book. It'll change your life. And what it did, it talked about how how leadership was formed through the adversity of children growing up. And then it listed the significant people who have influenced the world for good, both Christian and non-Christian, that have had adversity that was grooming them for future leadership. They talked about Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt, he was a sickly little blind kind of can't see short, diminutive little wiseacre. And he grew up to be a great president. In fact, he had adversity too because his first wife and his mother died on the same day. A lot of people don't know that. And then you go back to Abraham Lincoln. I think that's funny. Abraham Lincoln is ugly. I mean, here's the pot calling the kettle black. I know, I know. But when you look at him, When you look at him, you know, he's just not that attractive. At least for me, I'm a guy. Most guys, yeah. Stay with me now. He grew up to be really tall and lanky, and one person criticized him and said, you know what, not about his looks, but they said, you know what, Lincoln, you're just two faced. You know what that means? You say one thing and say something else, somebody else said, you're just two faced. And Lincoln shot right back and he says, if I'm two faced, do you think I'd want to keep the face I got? That's Lincoln, but here's what he said that really profoundly touched me about integrity. He said, kids, listen. I desire so to conduct the affairs of the administration that if at the end, when I come to lay down the reins of power, I have lost every other friend on earth. Listen to that. You have no friends. I shall at least have one friend left, and that friend shall be down inside of me. I do the very best I know how, the very best I can, and I mean to keep on doing it to the end. If the end brings me out all right, what is said against me will not amount to anything. Did you hear that? Let me read that again. If the end brings me out all right, what is said against me will not amount to anything. If the end brings me out all wrong, then the legion of angels swearing I was right will make no difference. What was driving him was authenticity, integrity. And that's what I want you to buy into, because that's biblical. We do not want to be a synthetic Christian, but an authentic Christian. Number four, productivity based on integrity. You see, I really think this is not so much a prayer as much as Paul is now intimating what is the result of people that have love and maturity and integrity and authenticity, what you will have is you will have productivity. And here's what it says. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That uh, phrase, fruits, intrigued me so much, so I did a scripture search on that concept of fruits in the Bible, and I came across with four, maybe five references to fruits. And here's what they are. We'll just rattle through them. You have what is known as the fruit of the Spirit, which means when I'm walking by the Spirit, I'm going to have the love that I want to have, that God wants me to abound in. Number two, I will have people one to Christ. What's the offspring of another Christian who's soul winning? Another Christian. So what's the fruit of a Christian? Christian. What's the fruit of an orange tree? Will be oranges. Outside, I think you saw we have some avocados, all right? What's the offspring of an avocado? More avocados. And so the fruit of a dedicated Christian that's walking by faith and sharing the gospel will be more people one to Christ. Number three will be holiness. It says we become slaves of God, and you'll have the fruit of holiness. And so I want to be holy, and if I want to have that in my life, that'll be a fruit that I'll have when I connect myself to the Lord. And finally, good works, that I'll have the fruit of good deeds in my life. We already know it's talking about knowledge and discernment, that your love is based on knowledge and discernment. So I want to go back to the Word. So the foundation, the bedrock of your walk with God is going to be the Word of God. That's why here at church, I'm going to teach you the Word, but I'm going to teach you in a life application manner. So you have the Word of God. Now, from the Word of God, if you're knowing it and applying it appropriately, there will be genuine love that will come out of it. Uh, Adults, let me speak to you deeper, knowledgeable Christians for a moment. Do you know the verse that says that um, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies? A lot of people say, therefore, knowledge is bad because it puffs up. No, 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 no. It's knowledge that's biblical knowledge, properly applied, doesn't puff up. That's where the love comes in. So having knowledge isn't wrong. But being proud about your knowledge, knowing but not applying, that puffs up. But using love based on knowledge, love is knowledge and working clothes. All right, word of God, then you have true, genuine love. So you kids, you think you know so much about the Bible, you love more, and you love the unlovely more, and you love them constantly. If not, then you're a charlatan, you're a hypocrite, because you really say you know the word, but you really don't, because if you really know the word, then you know enough to obey the word. Then it goes from charity to maturity. That if you're loving properly, then you will grow in your knowledge and you'll also produce maturity in others in a sense that you'll love them and they can grow. The next word is the word authenticity. Once you're becoming more and more, more mature, you're going to want to become more and more authentic. And that's what's happening. You will get rid of some of the grave clothes that you have, some of the junk stuff, and then you'll have integrity. People are going to look at you and say, boy, are you sincere? And then you're going to have productivity. Man, things are going to start happening in your life. That's the word glory to God. I really believe that as you're on this this road to this, it's kind of like a continual conveyor belt. We're always growing. If I have the word of God and I'm now maturing, the end of my life will be one where I will be bringing great glory to the Lord. And as it says there in the day of Christ, which usually refers to the judgment seat of Christ, I will examine my own life to see if I'm growing in my abundance of love. Am I doing that? Am I growing in my abundance of love? Who in my life right now needs a love touch for me? Who needs a hug? And by the way, we don't love just in word. We have to love in deed. Who needs an abundance of my love? Who is one that is right now struggling that needs some love? Biblical love. Secondly, am I examining my own life? Am I growing in approval of excellent things? Am I now seeing what's not healthy for me in offloading this? It? it uses the word things there, but that's my word. I could have stopped it and said... Am am I willing to offload the things that are not excellent? And you know what that could be? People that are bad for you. You're going to go to school, and it's going to be very easy for you to kind of attract. It's interesting how when you work with youth a lot, you parents, I don't know if you experience, teachers will, you can have a bunch of great kids in the class and one rebel in the class. You now get another kid who comes in middle of the year, whatever, and he has kind of a rebel or rebellious spirit about him. It is weird. Within 24 hours, you could have 50 kids in your class, but the rebels will find themselves. Do you all know what I'm trying to say? Okay. And so I'm saying, stay away from the rebels or be very, very careful because you are dealing with a wildcat. And we all know what happened to some people who thought they trained their cats real well and they didn't. And now their whole show is no more. Some of you know who I mean, don't you? Go like that if you knew who I'm talking about. All right, so be very careful. So approve the things that are excellent and avoid the things that are not. Absence of hypocrisy, that you choose to be authentic, even if you have to, like Abraham Lincoln, stand alone. And you're going to abound in righteousness. Oh, that's so good. And number two, I'll begin praying more for others' spiritual qualities. So we talked about, we talked about our kids and moms and dads praying for them and pastors praying for their sheep and managers praying for their constituency. But you pray for them, for the spiritual qualities rather than merely felt needs. We have a couple of guests that are here today, and I want to end with this one thought. What we're talking about right now began with being filled with the Spirit. Remember I talked about the can? And filled with the Spirit, filled with God's love. I'll be the last to tell you that you don't have love in your life because I believe you do love. You came in here and you love me enough to at least sit through this message. So you've got a degree of love in your life. You've got a lot of stuff going for you. But until you trust Christ to save you, the love that you have could have come from good parenting or good social skills. And I'm not saying that you haven't done good things even at a sacrifice. But authentic love will be the kind of love that you'll demonstrate to those who cannot love you back, and it'll be a sustained love, and it'll be a godly love, where that when you love, you will not look. Watch this. You will not look for anything in return. It's an unselfish, given love. And there's that kind of love is an agapeo love, that only comes inside of you when you trust Christ as Savior. So what you do is you come to him now as an empty tank. You might have love, but you don't have his love. So you come to him as empty. And you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And Lord, I don't care how many good truths I might pick up from the world, all these different little social things that I'm hearing even at church. And you're trying to pour that into you. It's like trying to tie fruit on a fake tree. That's not going to work. You're going to come to him and say, you know what? I might have some love, but I don't have your love. I don't have your full forgiveness. I want to receive from you all the love that you have for me. And when you do that, what you're doing is you're surrendering to him. You're saying, Lord, I am humbling myself, admitting that I don't have your love. I am a sinner. I need all of you right now. And so, Lord, I am trusting you. I believe you died on the cross, rose again. That was your ultimate demonstration of love for the world, including me, no matter how bad I am. I believe that occurred. Now, I'm depending upon what you did for me on the cross. I'm relying on you to take me to heaven, to forgive me of all my unloveliness. And he says, I'm going to now fill that. If you don't have that, then no matter how shiny the can is, when you die, you'll spend eternity separated from the love of God. And the worst part of hell isn't the flames. The worst part of hell is Jesus isn't there. And so if you want to have eternal life, you come to him almost like an empty vessel. And you say, Lord, I'm trusting you for the full forgiveness of my sin. I'm not trying to be good to go to heaven. I'm not trying to clean myself up. I'm coming to you totally empty, broken. And I need your love right now. He says, I'll fill you. You'll be my child. You'll be born again. I'll give you all my love inside of you. So now the very people you want to love, I'll give you that ability. And if you lean on me, you can abound in love one toward another. Let's pray, shall we? Here's an opportunity for every one of you to come to the Lord and make some decisions. Since I ended with this, I'm going to begin our prayer time. I ended with, have you received from the Lord his love that he demonstrated to you on Calvary when Jesus died and rose again? Now, that's the fact. Now, you enter into the faith by trusting that Jesus did that for you. And by him doing that for you, You're depending upon Him and His promise to forgive you of your sin, to give you a home in heaven. Now remember, you're coming to Him not with a promise to change your life, to stop or to start anything. You're coming as an empty, broken can, vessel, and saying, Lord, I need you to fix me. I need you to fill me. And I'm coming to you and you alone. And He says to you, I love you. I paid for your sins. And since you're trusting in me as your only hope to heaven... He says, he that believes on me has right now everlasting life. You will live forever in heaven. You're my forever child, and I filled you with my love, and I'm going to continue giving you that love. I'll never take it away. How many of you right now want to receive from the Lord the love of God that's found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary? And you'd like for me to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand if you'd like me to do that. You want to receive his love? My praying for you won't get you to heaven. Your prayers for yourself won't get you to heaven. But what will is you acknowledging that Christ is your Savior. And you are now turning to him as the only way for you to get to heaven. Not by your works, but by faith alone. Simply say, Lord, I'm a sinner. The best in how, I'm trusting you to give to me eternal life. I'm receiving your love, your forgiveness, and your free gift of eternal life. Thank you. How many of you would like for me to pray for you because you're saying something similar to that? You're having that conversation with the Lord. Would you slip up your hand? Anyone at all? Put it up, put it down. Anybody else? All right. Christians, now let me speak to you. We began by saying where Paul said, and this I pray for you. That means each one of us need to begin praying for people more specifically. I'd encourage you to get a copy of this message or download it from the website. And go over this message again and say, Lord, I want to pray for people more specifically. What do I need to pray for them? And so for you, make your prayer list. Sometimes you have such a lengthy prayer list, you can't pray for everybody you know, practically. So maybe begin by praying for just one or two. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's the friends of your kids that they would be filled full of the love of God. Maybe you kids that are here could be praying for your mom and dad and the struggles that they might go through, that they would be filled full of the love of God and all the rest. How about some of the people you work with? The reason they might be struggling is God is testing you with that and to see if you're now going to go to another level of praying for them more specifically. And let the Spirit of God work with you. Have them on your mind, bring them into your heart, and then take them to the Lord in prayer. How many of you would like to have prayer because you know that you kind of give a cursory little surfacy prayer, but you haven't really prayed in depth as consistently as you should, as specifically as now you want to. For your fellow workers, for the people that are in your spiritual leadership team, our gracious heavenly father, we're asking now that you would use your spirit to examine us as a faith family and that we would see if we are growing in our abundance of love? Are we really loving people, even when they speak truth to us and we don't like to hear what they're saying? Are we willing now to approve the things of the most excellent, the people and the situations in our life that we would do the more excellent, that things are good, but we know we could do better. And for some, they're doing better things than they've done last year, but have they plateaued and not done the best? So I pray that we would examine our life to see if we can go from good to better and better to best. And are we willing to get rid of hypocrisy in our life? And are we willing to expose ourselves to others who are willing to point out some hypocrisy? And maybe they're going to give it to us without dipping their arrow in honey and just shoot it and kind of damage us at times. But Lord, help us to be strong in that criticism and help us to be humble enough to receive it and I'll know that at the end of our life, we've changed it and we became better, that nobody can hurt us but ourselves. Are we abounding in righteousness? Maybe people don't love us is because we've stepped on them, and we've poked them, and we've ridiculed them, and we've had pride, and it was our problem. And we haven't been very righteous around them, very humble around them, very caring and giving. Or we kind of turn it on and turn it off. And so, Lord, help us not to be like that. Help us to be strong givers. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone in here that's suffering with a tremendous amount of pain because of a tremendous amount of hurt they've received. And now, Lord, as much as we will pray for them and pray that they'll experience these things, I pray that they know that no matter what happens, you will never leave them nor forsake them so they can say boldly, you are their helper. So, Father, I give these dearly beloved ones to you in Jesus' name.